All right, if you would, turn to the book of Isaiah. We've had a good run here in the last several. You know, we took July off, and then we spent August for the answers in August. But since we've come back, we've been on the wisdom literature, and it has been really, really good. Our Sunday nights have been some excellent sermons as different people in our church have been bringing those. And it's been great to hear from the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon or Song of Songs and those are called the wisdom books, but now we're going to shift to the final section of the Old Testament. It'll still be a while before we get to the New Testament. We're going to cover the whole Bible, uh, but we start now the prophets, and Isaiah is the first one. There are a lot of prophets. We start this section that is very much so different from the, um, the wisdom books. We start the prophets. I want to remind you what a prophet is because we're going to be studying the prophets now for several, several weeks. A prophet is somebody that speaks to the people for God. God gives this person a message. And this person goes and says, thus says the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God wants you to know. Here's the message from God. And he declares it to a people. That's what a prophet is. To reverse that, just to help you think through it, a priest is kind of the opposite. The priest goes in the opposite direction. All right? The priest gets a message from the people and goes and tells it to God. We don't need priests anymore because Jesus is the once and for all ultimate priest. Every one of us can come to God through Christ. You don't need a priest. Living in Louisville where we have lots and lots and lots of Catholics, we pastors get called priests all the time. <laughs> Anytime we meet somebody new that's not really in the church thing, they call us priests. And we like to say, we're not priests. Don't, don't call me Father Josh. And that's how they do. A priest, right, talks to God for the people. We had those in the Old Testament. A prophet, though, gets the message and takes it to the people. The Bible's filled with prophets. There are lots of them. We've got some major prophets, and we've got the minor prophets. That's basically just based off the size of the book. The first one, though, is Isaiah, and it is a good one. It is a really good one. Isaiah is one of the very best books in the Bible. It's also one of the longest books in the Bible. There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. That's a lot. It's long, okay? Um, other than the book of Psalms, chapter-wise, it's the longest book in the Old Testament, longest book in the Bible. It's really long. Now, I think, I'm not exactly sure about this, but I think Jeremiah, which has 52 chapters is actually longer with the amount of words. I think Jeremiah is longer by the amount of words, but Isaiah is known as being the longest because it's got those 66 chapters. It's a big one. It's filled with so much good stuff. It is quoted in the New Testament. It points us to Christ in a major way. Our series of which we're going through these books is called The Good News of each book, right? The good news of Psalms, the good news of Genesis. And so tonight, it's the good news of Isaiah. And that's what I want to do. I want to get us to see how we find the gospel and ultimately a focus on Jesus, our Savior, through the book of Isaiah. 
Uh, I mentioned that it's the biggest, except for maybe Jeremiah has more words in the 66 chapters. Here's another neat little note that you need to know. Isaiah uses more of a variety of words than any book in the Bible. Isaiah uses all kinds of words and vocabulary. It's, it's, it's massive. Isaiah was a good guy from a good family, from a good lineage, and he was called by God. We're going to look at this in just a little bit. He was called by God to be a prophet to Judah, the southern kingdom, okay? Prophet to Judah, prophet to Jerusalem, around Jerusalem, and um, Isaiah is just one of the best books. There are passages right now that I know that you know from the book of Isaiah. There are. There are a few. You may not be able to say, well, here's the chapter and what it is. But once we start looking at them tonight, you're going to say, yep, I, I knew that one. I knew that one, okay? And we're going to see that. Isaiah has a uh, kind of rather simple structure. I just want to put this before you. The first 39 chapters, the first 39 chapters are about judgment. They're about sin. They're about rebellion. God's people are a mess. He's mad at God's, he's mad at his people. They're often not obeying, okay? That, many, 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 many chapters, many, many, many pages, and many, many words written about that. The people, Israel, have sinned against their God. And so it goes through who the king and how he's leading the people of Israel. It goes through the nation. It goes through the nations that are opposing them, that are attacking them, and how they're navigating that, and the message to the king and the message to this king. It goes through all that. But the first 39 chapters, the big large section of Isaiah, is about that rebellion, that sin, that judgment, okay? The last section, so from chapter 40 to chapter 66, is about salvation, and this is really like a summary of the whole Bible, isn't it? Yes, it is. The, the, the last section, 40 to 66, is about salvation. That even though the people have sinned against their God, God's not done with them. He has a plan. He has a salvation. And it's not going to be more of what they're going to do or how he's going to fix them. It focuses in on a future coming one a servant, a suffering servant, which we know also clearly is identified in the New Testament as Jesus Christ. Isaiah makes very clear that there is somebody coming in the future that will be a savior, a fulfilling of the promises of God, savior for all of the sin and rebellion that the people of Israel have stored up and created for so, so, so many years. So the first big section is about that judgment on them. And the last big section is about the salvation that's coming. All right? Let's look at a few passages. Start with me at chapter 1. This chapter 1, and I want to read a lot of it to you, summarizes all that, that, that we just said, okay? Chapter 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So this is 8th century B.C., for those of y'all that care, and Isaiah was a prophet during these four kings' reign. 
And some of them trusted in the Lord and listened to Isaiah and liked what Isaiah was saying and liked how God was working through Isaiah, and some of them did not, okay? But it was during these four kings, all right? That's a great opening verse. That opening verse of Isaiah helps you a lot. But remember, I said the first 40 chapters, the first 39 chapters are about the judgment of God against his sinful people. And chapter 1 is going to show us this very clearly. So read along with me. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about the wicked nations? No, he's not. He's not talking about the wicked nations. He's talking about his people, Israel. He's talking about the people he brought out of the Exodus. He's talking about the people that he brought out the flood. He's talking about the 12 tribes of Israel that came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Church, you need to be reminded tonight that people sin. All people sin. Religious people sin. Church people sin. And this is a big theme in the book of Isaiah, that the people of Israel, God's people, have turned against God. Let's keep reading. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners." And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. You hear that? They are recognizing they are so sinful against God right now that he might just burn them up with judgment the way he did Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not the wicked nations that are out there cursing God in the, in the blatant ways. This is the religious people, the people of God. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me who has required of you this trampling of my courts, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. This is God speaking. 
They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Does everybody see that? That's him saying, even though you make many prayers to me, I will not listen to you. Why? Why is God saying this? I know this isn't like a Wednesday morning Bible study, but I'm asking a lot of questions. He's he's saying it because they're doing the things God told them to do, but their heart is not in it. Everything that is religious or spiritual in the world for the glory of God must be done by a faith that knows it's about God and God is my Savior, everything. And we church people must be the same. Going to church doesn't mean God is worshiped. Reading your Bible doesn't mean God is worshiped. Feeding the hungry doesn't mean God is worshiped. Giving and sacrificing doesn't mean God is worshiped. It doesn't. From a pure heart, because you know your sins and you need a Savior, is the way God is worshiped. And 40 chapters at the beginning of the book of Isaiah are God pointing out, just like this chapter, that his people are sinful and he is not pleased with them anymore. He doesn't want them to keep doing the things that they do. He's the one who told them to do these offerings. He's the one that told them to uh, sacrifice bulls and goats. He's the one that told them to do that. And now he's not pleased with it because they're not doing it from the right heart. They're not doing it by faith. They're not doing it because they love him. They're not doing it because they know that he loves them. They're just doing it, and they're not doing it from a good place. Look at verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless, Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Look at this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God wants to see his people live for his glory. That's why he created people, that they would live for his glory. And this chapter one opens up with a bang, doesn't it? As he is just calling them out, all right? Turn over to chapter six, okay? It's at the beginning of chapter six where we see Isaiah hear the calling from God and respond to the calling of God. This is a very well-known passage, but one you need to hear, okay? So up until this point, we've just got this message coming from God, and at chapter six, we see Isaiah called into it, and from this point on, Isaiah will be uh, the spokesperson for God, the prophet. Chapter six, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, here's, here's Isaiah's response. 
And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. That's symbolic, isn't it, in a great way? He's about to use his mouth to declare the glory of God and to call them out of their sin and to let them know how wrong they are for God. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this, say, Go and say to this people. And there we have Isaiah's first message that would come from God. Isaiah 6 is Isaiah's calling. Isaiah receiving that calling. Notice that Isaiah's a sinner just like the rest of them, okay? Isaiah's a sinner. He needs to be forgiven, okay? It's not that God uses good people. God uses forgiven people that will trust in him. So that's his calling. And what we have now for the rest of this, these different kings that are coming, those four kings, uh, the rebellion, and what God often will do is he'll raise up another nation that will come and attack his people and mess them up and uh, 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 overtake them and take them into exile. You have all this going on in the book of Isaiah with the people of Israel, and throughout it all, Isaiah is there sending the messages for God. Now, I want to show you one thing. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. You know that verse. I know that you do. That's in the New Testament, in the Gospels. That's a Christmas verse. That's referring to Jesus coming. Because in your New Testament, it says Emmanuel, which means God with us. What we have in Isaiah in the midst of all of this judgment and sin and rebellion, is a constant looking to there, that there is hope. And that picks up heavily once we get to that second uh, section at the end in chapter 40. All right? Now, fitting with like we talked about this morning, fitting with God's message all the way through, God is very consistent. If God's people or any people are not going to turn from their sins and continue to rebel against him, he will judge them. That's what's going on in the first 40 chapters of Isaiah. But starting at chapter 40 to the end, we get the salvation message, all right? And I don't know if you're taking notes or not, but here's what I really, really, really wanted you to hear and to get out of tonight, okay? Isaiah tells us about this suffering servant, this suffering servant. And the way it does this is by giving us four songs. If you've never heard this before, this is what you really need to know about Isaiah. Okay, more than everything I've already said so far, these four servant songs are the main thing we want you to get out of Isaiah, okay? Here's where they are, okay? And I'm gonna show you all of them. The first one is chapter 42. The first one is chapter 42. This is the first Song about the servant, God's servant, okay? This is the first one. 
It's 42, 1 through 9. We're going to read it. What this is, okay, in the salvation message uh, coming out of the judgment, God pointing to, and here's how it often is described, his servant. Okay, that, that's the way it sounds when you read Isaiah. Now, you'll hear us say the, the suffering servant or, or God's servant, but it's, it's, it sounds when you're reading this like God saying, my servant or the Lord's servant, okay? And that ultimately, that is Jesus that he's pointing to. But remember, this is Isaiah telling the nation that, all right? Read with me at 42, 1 through 9. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. This is a big phrase right here. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Hey, you can watch the news tonight, and they will tell you about wars going on where people are doing some bad things, right? You hear about it every day. The Bible says right here through the mouth of Isaiah that Jesus Christ, God's servant, will bring justice one day in every way to every nation. Who will do that? The Lord's servant, according to Isaiah 42. This servant that I'm going to show you through the rest of our time tonight is so important. Okay, He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. That's a good word, isn't it? He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Everybody hear that? A light for the nations? to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. What a passage, right? That's a song that is filled with uh, New Testament hope, that is filled with all of God's promises, finding their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And it is the Lord's servant there through which God's going to bring about all of that. Now, one quick note, Isaiah 42, 6, where it says, um, I will have you as a light for the nations. You probably remember that. In Acts chapter 13, Paul says that's him. God working through him and bringing people to Jesus through him. Paul says, that's me. I'm a, I'm a light to the nations in his missionary efforts, okay? All right, so that first servant song where the prophet Isaiah is pointing out that the hope and the answer and the salvation is in a person, in an individual, the Lord's servant, is Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, all right? Turn over to chapter 49. Here's the second one. 
This is the second servant song, 49, 1 through 13. Let's read it. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth sharp like a he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So you're reading this and you're thinking about the nation of Israel being so rebellious and sinful and you think about how all that he just said, we just read in chapter one, but he kept saying that to them for 40 chapters, right? For all of these years that Isaiah's whole ministry, he's talking to them about how much he does not like what they're doing. They're rebelling against him. And then all of a sudden, these sort of awesome promises are coming out that through the Lord's servant, God will be glorified. So you're like, well, who's it talking about? Is he still talking about his people? No. He's talking about his servant, which we're going to see in a little bit, is Jesus. Verse 4, but I said I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Look at this one. I will make you as a light for the nations that what? That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's salvation message through Christ has always been for everybody everywhere to the end of the earth. Verse seven, thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the holy one of Israel who has chosen you. Verse eight, thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I've answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. Some of y'all remember that quoted in the book of Revelation. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them and I will make all my mountains a road and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar and behold, these from the north and from the west and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. That's the second servant song. Turn over to chapter 50, the next chapter. This chapter raises up that that single servant, the Lord's servant, is obedient in contrast that most of God's people aren't obedient. We're used to the people of Israel being judged by God for their disobedience But God has that one servant that is obedient. We'll start reading in verse 4. 50 verse 4. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. 
Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. You're starting to see some specifics here that are pointing you to who that servant is, aren't you? Verse seven, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I've not been disgraced. There I have set my face like a flint. Y'all, the, the gospel of Luke, Luke 9.23, uses that exact terminology to say Jesus set his face to Jerusalem where he had to get to the cross. Comes right there from Isaiah 57. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The, the moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. That's the third song, speaking about the Lord's servant that is the key to the salvation that God will bring to his judgment, to his rebellious people that he's judging. Finally, the fourth and final song, servant song in the book of Isaiah starts in chapter 52, verse 13. And this is a passage that you know, and this is what we're going to end with. This is the fourth song, okay? I'm telling you, what is most important about Isaiah, if you're going to remember anything, is these four songs in the back half of Isaiah that point to the Lord's servant. Starting at 52.13. Behold my servant. Does everybody see that, my servant? He keeps saying this. This is the fourth time I'm showing you all that he keeps saying my servant. And if you're reading this without a preacher helping you, your first thought's going to be, well, who's that servant? Who's he talking about? Because all of his people are rebellious. He's judging them. He don't even want them to pray to him anymore, he said in chapter 1. So who's his servant? Read with me. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. No question about it there. If you've read the New Testament, tonight we mentioned several times, we've seen the passion of the Christ. If you've read the New Testament, if you know what the Bible teaches, you know that those prophetic announcements from God to Isaiah to the nation of Israel are pointing to an individual person here called the Lord's servant fulfilled as Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who died on the cross for the sins of Israel and the sins of the whole world. Let me read in closing what we already read from chapter one. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. What made them pure and right with God and before God? It wasn't their obedience. It wasn't their good works. It wasn't their, ob their ability to please God. It was the Lord's servant, Jesus, who he sent to be everything that Israel couldn't be. And all of these promises come from God to Israel, to the nation. As you read the New Testament, you will see Isaiah mentioned over and over and over again. Isaiah is a huge book. It's often neglected because it's stuck in the middle and because it's so long. But Isaiah gives us the summary of the gospel and an overview of all of the scriptures the answer is not found in us. The answer is not found in our ability to be good, our ability to obey God. It must be found outside of us. It must be found in God's man, not in us, in Christ, the one who took our sins for us. The good news of Isaiah is that you can know God through his servant, Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this series in the book of Isaiah. And we thank you, God, that here tonight in an overview style, survey style, we can flow through it quickly. Father, we thank you for this structure of the four songs. May we see that we need a Savior. We thank you for Jesus in our time here tonight. In your name we pray, amen.